from the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm Paddy Dander, and in this episode, we're going to be focusing on a topic that I would say, and I'm going to be bold enough to say, it's probably been one of the most useful skills that I've come across and had to use in the various roles that I've been in over my career. We're going to be focusing on mastering virtual meetings and the art of facilitation. I'm joined by a very special guest, someone who has bags of experience in this area. Hey, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm really happy to be here. And Mike, you've written a book recently, Mastering Virtual Meetings. It um, came out of the training experiences I had where I was teaching facilitation skills primarily. Okay. And the uh, students in my courses uh, were there to take in-person facilitation. So imagine standing in a meeting room and you got a flip chart and you're writing on it and getting people, moderating a conversation, getting people to talk in order and politely and all those kinds of things. And the questions kept coming up more and more over the last 10 years about, well, how do we do this, um, these facilitation activities online? So I took an interest in it and started looking into it, getting my own array of trainings under my belt and then building in more and more content into my facilitation classes about how to do online training. And the thing that resonated the, the most the people I was teaching, now this is a select group because they're coming to these courses, they've, they've decided they want to know about facilitation. So the principles of facilitation uh, were, was not the most uh, enjoyable part of the course for them in, in the context of online meetings because they already knew that. They knew about agendas and they knew about uh, de de devising what is the work product you want out of a meeting. So they knew a lot of that wherewithal about the principles. What they didn't know were tips about how to make it work. So they shifted my thinking from the principles of doing facilitation in the online environment to how do you do it? So the book is a direct result of that, where I found myself teaching to what they wanted to hear the most, which was tips about how to do online meetings. So what are the tips that will set up a meeting for success, the things you do before a meeting? What are the tips that you can do during a meeting so you can get the moderation going well and people interacting in this more difficult environment of an online setting? And in particular, tips about how to get a conclusion out of an online meeting. The number one complaint that I got then and that I still get in uh, about people who are worried about running good online meetings is that online meetings are pretty good at generating talk, but they're pretty bad at generating concrete outcomes. So they're not getting to a decision point in these meetings. So the tips that were actually the most poor, um, uh, popular or how do you get people to come to a conclusion in an online meeting? Because it is slightly more difficult. Got it. And on that topic, you know what I'm going to ask you next, Mike? What sort of tips would you have for getting <laughs> to an end outcome? Because I can absolutely relate to that. I've seen so many meetings. There's no agenda set at the start. Yeah. You end up going in lots of different directions and you walk away from there thinking, we had a good chat, but actually, what did we achieve and what's happening next? Yeah, yeah. So it, it it is a combination, as you intuit there, of doing some things before the meeting to actually set the stage so a decision can be made. 
And uh, for me, uh, there's a, a, a really important emphasis I place on the notion of setting the purpose for the meeting as being about making a decision. Now, it's appropriate to have discovery meetings, which are more about talking and the broad, um, expansive, think brainstorming kinds of conversations. And they're meant to open up. It's a diverging conversations. And you open up the conversation to see what the playing field is like, what the scope of, of work might need to be, what the decision spaces that you need to work in, all of those sorts, sorts of questions. That's appropriate. But if you want a decision-making meeting from the get-go, you need to decide decide it's going to be a meeting that arrives at a decision and you make that purpose absolutely clear. Well, how do you do that? Well, I do it um, because I'm a, a neutral third party that comes in and helps people more than running my own meetings. I have a bit of a privilege where I can go to say you, Patty, as the meeting sponsor, and I can pin you down in a, in a conversation like this, and it'll be polite and it'll be diplomatic and so forth. But ultimately, I'm chasing pretty aggressively for you to tell me what is the concrete and actionable, deliverable you want out of the meeting. And then I'll go into some other narrative. Please, Patty, expand on that. Tell me what does concrete and actionable mean to you and get you to say, what is the thing you want to hold in your hand or the concrete achievement you want this group to deliver to you as a recommendation? Whatever that looks like, I want to try to pin you down for that. Now, if you watched my body language and my verbal language there, <laughs> when I was uh, interviewing you as the uh, mock uh, meeting sponsor, I used the word deliverable. And for some reason, when I interview meeting sponsors, that word has resonance with them. When I say, what would you like this meeting to produce? Their answers are, they're well, they're well spoke people, they're good thinkers and so forth, but they're not precise. When I come forward and say, tell me what the concrete and actionable deliverable is you want on this meeting, they can narrow in and they say, oh, I want these guys to negotiate a solution to how we're gonna spend next year's budget, something like that. If I get an answer like that, then I know the facilitation has got to be set up to array the budget, get the people to vote on priorities of the budget, get them to mediate any conflicts they have and how those allocations are. That tells me what to do as the facilitator. So from the get-go, the first tip is get really clear. Tell everybody you're clearly that this is a meeting to make a decision. And then if you're the meeting sponsor, get clear on the deliverable. And if you're not, get to the meeting sponsor and pin them down. What is the actionable and concrete deliverable you need? Out? So that's in front of the meeting. And there's a lot of things you can do in the meeting to foster that. And we can talk about that as the conversation goes on. But let's pause here and see if that that works for you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I liked your use of language where you said, I'm going to pin you down. So straight away, I'm thinking... I, I've got to make sure this is very specific, right? Because if I don't, you're not going to let me get away with wishy-washy stuff. <laughs> and so that was a good use of language. I guess the other question I had about that would be, do you validate or evaluate whether the outcomes that I'm suggesting are realistic? Because I guess there could be certain deliverables that I come up with that you might say, hey, that's a great aspiration, but you know what? In a one-hour meeting with, I don't know how many people, 15 people, that's a little bit ambitious. It is, yeah. And that's a routine conversation because uh, you as an executive guiding whatever process you're guiding are thinking um, 
pretty far downstream. You're thinking about what is the outcome I need at the end of some sort of obligation that you have. It could be to build a new product. It could be to 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 get the police force and the community of of objectors working better together. Those are those are worthy achievements that are pretty far downstream. You can't resolve all of that in one meeting. So I do try to pin people down and do a reality test. That's my term for it. What's the reality of what we can logically achieve in the amount of time we have and with the audience we have? Those are two dynamics that, that come together. Now I'm going to skip forward to what the ultimate answer is and come back and unpack the, those two audiences. The skip forward is the answer is more meetings. You, you sequence the process so that you take the group through the necessary necessary steps to arrive at some sort of collaborative decision, whatever that looks like. It's pretty common that the, the meeting executive who's sponsoring the meetings is thinking downstream, but the issue has been building for a long time. There could be a year or two of issues that, that have come up. Uh, a two-hour meeting isn't going to resolve it, and so you just you know, make that plain and apparent too. Now, what's the justification for po- proposing more than one meeting? And it is the nature of the issue and the nature of the people that are involved. So if the issue is completely complex and has a lot of dimensions to it and itself has a lot of uncertainty, we don't know what we're getting into when we decide things for the future, then that tells you there needs to be a lot of sort of groundwork for ground truthing, what are viable solution options that, that could be adopted as, as, uh, as viable opportunities. So the nature of the issue is something that you as a meeting planner need to be pretty mindful of and how complex it is. The other is the audience. And so, and because I'm a mediator, I walk into a a lot of meetings where there's a lot of ingrained conflict that's been built up usually over time. And so the audience isn't ready to agree. So there needs to be a lot of groundwork done. Getting, I don't like necessarily using the word team building, but there needs to be a lot of teaming in that audience. Let's go back to my natural resources work and think about wolf management. So imagine you're a cattle rancher and somebody else is an environmentalist and another person is an animal rights person. And then you have some government employees here who have to try to regulate all the issues. Those folks have been fighting for years on, on that issue. They're not, that, that's not quality teamwork. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> pretty apparent. So if you're the meeting sponsor and you want me to come in and try to unravel an issue like that, the nature of that history of how well the audiences work together, their ingrained conflicts and value conflicts in particular, all tell me we need to do a lot of community building. And that takes time because trust builds over time. It's never a one-off event. And it takes a track record of people working together and getting commitment to the same objectives. Now we're going to cycle back to the deliverable. You know, if you're the, the executive and you say, I need a solution for a wolf management that keeps people uh, happy enough so that we can manage the issues involved, but also keep peace in the community, I figure out some way of handing that objective off to the people in the meeting. So instead of you as a cattle rancher coming in and saying, I'm in this meeting to only represent my interest, I get the group to, sh- to share some level of ownership of everybody's interest. So that's the third dynamic I'm incredibly sensitive to is how do you build a process where people are enrolled to a common set of objectives so that you can build whatever collaborative solution it is. So there's three things that are prominent in my mind. It's the nature and the history of the issues and its complexity. The other is, other is the 
uh, audience and how well they've worked together in the past and how well they're working now. And um, the third is this whole idea of how do I enroll into a common set of objectives with those three things, then you got a hope of building, building a, a collaborative solution. We lay all that out for you as the meeting sponsor who says, I'd like to have a two-hour meeting to resolve all of this. It gets pretty apparent how large the job is. So, And of course, you're using all kinds of diplomatic terms in this conversation with the people. But again, because this is an opportunity to talk with a little more directness, those are the objectives. You got to pin them down on those questions. Wow. That sounds like a huge amount of work before we even get in the room. And I think that's the bit that many facilitators ignore or they look over because what they see is how they're going to structure the actual meeting itself. So I'm glad you said that. And I've seen that, you know, many times over where we all get in the room and people haven't even bought in to the topic that we're about to discuss. So it sounds like doing that legwork up front really helps get people in the right mindset when they come into the room. Yeah, it's been a privilege to train a lot of new facilitators over the last 25 years or so. And the most common misunderstanding that, that they have is that facilitation is about moderating a conversation. Who talks first? What's the order of conversation? Keeping people on track if they want to wander off. All of those are really helpful and appropriate and important important skills, but in front of that is a really substantial leadership skill that these facilitators have. And it's to lead that um, group of people uh, through all of that kind of complexity that I just described. So you're a leader in front of the room or leader in in this virtual space. The challenge, of course, is the virtual space is, is wonderful because you know, you're in England, I'm in the United States and we're having this great conversation. So the technology, technology is incredibly supportive and and helpful, but it's an artificial medium. So it's it's more difficult than a, a meeting, being an f- in-person facilitator in a meeting. So it's a little bit more challenging to achieve what you're talking about. And that nicely brings me on to my next question, Mike, because this is one that I think many people are always asking about, which is for remote meetings, what would be some of the tools that you would recommend and why? Well, first and foremost, it is the obvious. You need a robust meeting platform of some sort. So whether you're going to use the, um, go to meetings or Zoom or whatever that might might be, then um, pick one and, and learn it pretty well. It, in it, in when the, when you do that, um, always be thinking about how much assistance you need with that. So I'm a really big fan of using producers to run the technology. And so if it's a small meeting, you know, I'm good enough. I use Zoom primarily and I'm good enough with Zoom to do some breakout rooms and um, chats and even polls and those kinds of things. But if I'm trying to manage 15 people or 50 people in a meeting, that's way too much. And so hire in somebody who can run the tech with you. And you're not just hiring in somebody who is set, who knows, knows the platform. You're hiring in somebody to be a full-fledged team member. You're bringing them on early. You're telling them what the purpose of the meeting is. You're sharing the agenda and how it's going to break down into tech activities and those sorts of things. So you need a, a tech assistant if the meeting is at all large and, and complex. Once you're in the meeting, though, um, there's the normal kinds of activities. So I like to think about breaking up meetings into into logical components and, and a most frequent series of those that 
that I use is after breaking the ice, which is revealing the purpose of the meeting and getting people to agree to it. Uh, maybe you want an icebreaker, always keep it topically re relevant. Don't talk about what your favorite animal is unless the, the animal relates somehow to the purpose of the meeting. You know, be careful with those sorts of things. But you, you do need to do something up front to get, get the process started and, and to break the ice. But the content of the meeting, for me, tends to come down into some modules that are, are routinely repeated. One is a discovery module. So it's a think brainstorming in, in this case. Uh, you're getting, taking people through a first groups group of activities to discover um, what it is that needs to be talked about. Usually, if you've done a good job of defining the deliverable, it's the brainstorming. Brainstorming what are options for solutions. Now, if you don't know what that deliverable is, people say we have this problem, but we don't understand the problem. Then, well, let me put you on the spot and give you a pop quiz. If you're going to a meeting and you don't know what the deliverable is, what is the nature of the discussion that we might like to have? Goes all over the place. Yeah, it does. Yeah, about everything but that topic, probably, because everyone's got an opinion. We're all just throwing all of our thoughts forward. You are spot on. If you don't know what the deliverable is, the meeting sponsor just couldn't get clear, then you shift that over to the group. You say, hey, things are confusing here and they're uncertain. So we don't know precisely what this meeting is supposed to produce. Let's have a conversation about that. So the first model in the discovery phase is what's our purpose? If the meeting sponsor has given it to you, you hand it off to them and you get them to develop options for solving that problem. If it's not, you hand it off to them again and say, what is our purpose? And you have that conversation. The next big module that I usually try to design around that is an evaluation module. So imagine we're in a purpose-driven meeting and the deliverable is clear and you've gone through the discovery phase of brainstorming and you have a series of options that are out there. Then you need to take the folks into a module that evaluates those options. And so in Agile and other kinds of project planning, there's often a scoring mechanisms that you can use. And so you, you take the folks into a scoring activity or you take them into a simple hands vote, or you take them into recording their preferences in the chat. You use some simple tools like that to get the, the best of the options to rise to the top somehow. So if you, you have a brainstorming phase that generates 30 options, it's probably too much to work with. So you wanna winnow that down to a manageable list of maybe a half a dozen if you can. So think voting, scoring, preference selection in the chat, whatever that might be. Now you've got this winnowed list, okay? And so what are you going to do with it? So that takes me to the next module, which is deep evaluation. And so you take that that uh, sanctioned or that shortened list and you devise some way of scoring them, usually against some criteria. Often this is the place where we pause the meeting set up, do some more setup work, and then have a second meeting to get into the deep evaluation because it takes some thought about how you're going to do it. The process, however, is, so let's just think, we're only going to talk about the short list at this moment. So let's think you've got that short list and you want to go to deep evaluation. It's really helpful if you can get the group to articulate a set of criteria that they're going to use to evaluate each option by its expense, its feasibility, how quickly you can put it online, how acceptable it is to the stakeholders, whatever those that list of criteria looks like, you want a list of that. Well, how do you get that? Think brainstorming. You brainstorm the list of criteria, you have another evaluation to vote on the key criteria, and you select key criteria. 
Well, now what have you got? I'm trying to draw a matrix, matrix with my hands in the air here. You've got a list of a short list of ideas, and now you've got a short list of criteria. The deep evaluation brings those together with another kind of voting or scoring kind of exercise to bring those together. And people vote on criteria is a really common thing. Then the next big module that I take people through is a ground truthing of, of that apparent decision that's come out of the scoring exercise. And we just have a conversation. It's just a moderated conversation about what well, looks like these top three are really the things that uh, people have the most energy about and have the most confidence in will we'll meet our needs. Can anybody see a problem with this? Uh, let's play some what if analysis. Is there a devil's advocate here that would like to challenge us on that? You have those kinds of ground truthing conversations. And when people settle in, you're using mediator skills about this in answering the question, is this solution something that can work for you? I'm talking a lot here, but let me <clears throat> pause in a really common conversation I have at this point is what is an acceptable quality of the decision that is acceptable to the audience? And if you're not careful or if you're not clear about that, each audience member will have their own di definition of what is an acceptable quality of a decision. And so I try to bring that to the surface and say, what does a good enough solution look like for you, you folks and get them to talk about? So if you're quiet about it, each person is thinking about their what solution is the right one <clears throat> from their own perspective, not a shared perspective. And if you're in a highly conflicted environment, each person is thinking about, I want a perfect solution for my needs. I don't care much about the other person's needs. So you need to have that module that talks about what's the criteria we're going to use for a good enough solution. And again, if you watch my body and vo vocal language, I emphasize the word good enough. Mm -hmm. Now, bear in mind, I'm coming from a perspective where there's a lot of conflict in my meetings. You can never get a perfect answer or a perfect solution for everybody but you can often get a good enough solution. And so if I can get people to buy into a good enough solution that's good enough for now to get you into the future so you can work together better in the future, then I, I can get people to agree to that. I can't get them to agree to a perfect solution. And then the last module, well, it's actually, I'll, I'll split this up into two modules. The next to the last module is solidifying the bargain. And so this is where I, I will, I will, I'll be maybe sitting back like this, but I'll get up close and personal and my, my voice should get louder as I get close to the microphone and I'll, I'll look each person in the eye or I'll do something that says, you know, um, Patty, is this solution that we've decided is good enough? Um, is that something you can, uh, you can support and tell your folks back home that uh, is the answer that we've brought to you? Do you feel good about delivering that message to them? I try to get every person in a diplomatic way to, to make that agreement. And uh, so I'm looking for um, buy-in, trying to establish buy-in from each person. And then the last module is, uh, what are we gonna tell the people who are outside the room? So I try to end, end usually with a conversation about, what do those people who are outside the room, room need to know about our decision today? And if it's a hot button issue and there's media involved, this is particularly important because you wanna coalesce me, message to be sending out that's gonna be broadcast in the meeting. Yeah, if um, it's been an issue where you're going to deliver an answer to the boss, probably should have some level of consensus about what's the message we're going to send to the boss. And if it's uh, a diverse group of folks who have been fighting and they're going to go back to their own constituencies or their own caucuses and talk about it, we want some set, some level of rehearsing 
what's the message they're going to deliver to their own caucuses so that there's a, um, a, a I don't want to say perception, but there is a reality that people are in accord about this and they're sending that same message out to. So lots of modules that are to think about taking a group through, through. And once again, you're back to your inquiry about the meeting sponsor having over-optimistic ideas about how much they can accomplish in one meeting. I can hear some of those words that you use there around kind of evaluation uh, of the decision-making being really important. I mean, it's all great. People come there, have lots of great ideas, but are any of those realistic? Are, are we actually going to move forward with any of those? So I, I really uh, sort of value that. One thing that came to mind when you were talking that through there, Mike, was is there an optimal number of attendees that you would recommend for those sort of discovery sessions that are delivered virtually? Uh, I don't think so. I think there's a managerial problem about how to manage the crowd if it gets gets too large, you know, but it 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 forfeits function here. Mm-hmm. And if it's just discovery for creativity's sake, then probably a smaller audience is okay. And but if it's a discovery where the audience is um, diverse and many voices have a stake in the outcome, then you need to have a large a larger kinds of audience. If it's an audience that is not only diverse but conflicted, you want to make sure every voice from all the conflicting factions are somehow involved in it, or otherwise you'll get criticized for excluding them. So form fix function fits function. What it generates though is an audience management problem in the virtual space. I think producer to help you. Uh, often I'll use breakout groups, and I'm lucky because I have a, about a hundred colleagues and friends who who think about the same kinds of issues that I do about conflict and or mediation and facilitation. So if it's a really large crowd, like 150 people, I'll recruit 10 colleagues who will be breakout room facilitators. And we've prepared ourselves so they can go into their breakout rooms and, and manage, that, manage that in some sort of uh, appropriate kind of way. So form fits, fits function. And I, I don't think uh, there's a, a clear answer to the the appropriate audience size. If it's a if it's a decision making meeting, then whittle the audience down to the to just the vital few decision makers who've got to go implement it. And that is often a small handful of people who control budgets. That's a different kind of meeting. That's a great tip there about bringing in additional facilitators. I think that's sometimes needed when time is short and you do want to get some very clear outcomes. <laughs>